our 2020 vision. That is, what does God have in store for us in the next decade? When we think of 2020, we think of vision, don't we? We think of perfect vision. And of course, you and I as uh, fallen individuals, we cannot see clearly all that God has in store for us, but we certainly can seek Him, and we know some things. What does the Lord Jesus have in store for His church here at Dawson Street Baptist in the next decade? We're considering what that might look like according to His Word, and we're beginning with a vision of what we are to be. God wants us to see the kind of people He wants us to be. We get so busy doing Sometimes we forget about being. So before we can do what he wants us to do, we must be who, who he wants us to be. So what does the Lord require us to be? He requires us to be a people devoted, loyal, committed to him with all of our hearts. With all of our hearts. We find that phrase several times in the scriptures, and it's usually connected to seven different things. And uh, the first one we've been looking at. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And it's no limit to what God can do with a people who is devoted to Him with all their hearts. Second Chronicles 16.9, the Lord's eyes roam to and fro about the whole earth, even here this morning, looking to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are committed to him. Is my heart committed to him? Am I loyal to him? Am I devoted to him? Then he says, if you are, I'm going to show myself strong on your behalf. The heart is the core of our being. It's who we really are. It's the center of our will. It's the center of our decision making. It's the center of our emotions. It's, it's the center, if you will, of our soul. Everything we want, think, feel, believe, desire. And that's the part that God desires first and foremost from us is our heart, to love him with all of our heart. Now, we've borrowed from Gary Chapman's five love languages to help us to understand some strategies. If our goal is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, that's the big goal. That's what I want. That should be the aim of our lives. And I ask you here this morning, is there a time where you have loved the Lord your God more than you do right now? And I want to say this up front because I don't want anybody to think that you're going to uh, be perfect at this because there'll be seasons in your life there'll be times where you ebb and flow in your commitment not that we should but we are human beings but what is there a time in your life are you in one of those uh, valleys where you are not completely devoted to the Lord where you know that you're distant from him you know you belong to him he saved you he's forgiven you but you you've been walking over here, and you've left God, well, you can come back. That's the wonderful thing about God. He allows U-turns, and uh, the story of the prodigal son should be a, rem a reminder to us of that. But our goal is to love the Lord our, with all of our heart, and if we ever stray from that, never lose that as your goal. Come back to that center. So we need some strategies, and we borrowed from Gary Chapman's five love languages to give us some strategies. Well, we want to spend quality time with God. That will help us to demonstrate to him and to commit our lives to loving him. When you're reading the Bible, when you're spending time talking to him, when you're slowing down and you're not in a hurry in your Bible reading time or your quiet time, when you're acknowledging him throughout the day, you're spending that quality time with him. 
We want to, uh, secondly, do acts of service to him. All these we've already talked about, but I'm just reviewing. We want to um, serve him. And how do we serve him? Well, we can serve others. Jesus said, he that is chief among you, let him be servant of all. And he said, when you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So when we serve others, especially his people, especially his church, we're serving him. We are his body. So when you serve the Lord and you, when you're serving the church and you serve other people, you're actually serving Christ. Thirdly, we want to give him physical touch. Well, we cannot physically see Jesus. We cannot touch him with our hands, but we can touch those he loves. Can we not? We can um, stop and pray with people. We can visit the sick and the hurting. We can give friendly smiles and, and handshakes and hugs and greetings to people that we pass and that we meet. We can give those physical touches. And again, as we do it to the least of these, my brethren. Not just your friends and not just the people you like, but even strangers and, and even enemies, he says, bless and do good to them. Then we're doing it to Christ. Then fourthly, we talked about speaking words of affirmation. That is praising and thanking God. That's another way we express love to him, is praising him. Thanking him for what he's done, praising him for who he is, and then verbally blessing his people each week and rejecting critical thoughts and avoiding critical words. How can we bless God and curse people, bless God and gossip about people? Uh, at the same time, the book of James says we're liars, we're hypocrites if that's the case. You can't bless God in here and then curse your brother in the parking lot on your way out. That's hypocrisy and that's uh, not what God says he wants. So speaking words of affirmation. The last one we're going to talk about today, the, the fifth love language, if you will, the fifth way we can express our love to the Lord is, or the fifth strategy is to present tangible gifts to him. Present tangible gifts. You see, each of us understand and receive love in one of these five ways. Some of you receive love and, ex and, and know your love when people are spending quality time with you. Uh, some people know their love when they're being served. Not the, but servers, who have, those who have the gift of the love language of serving, they also like to serve. They don't just want to be served, but they know they're loved when others are doing things for them. Some, it's physical touch. When somebody shakes their hand, puts their arm around them, or hugs them, they feel loved. Some, it's words of affirmation when you compliment them or encourage them verbally. And then others, it's gifts. It's presenting gifts to them, small tokens of your thoughtfulness and your appreciation. Well, all of these ways are ways we can express love to God. We convert these things into ways we can express love to God. It knits our heart to Him. So presenting tangible gifts to God, to the Lord Jesus, is one way we can love Him with all of our hearts. I want to share some scriptures with you this morning. Get your Bibles out. They're not going to be on the screen, so we're going to do a tiptoe through the scriptures. You get to rehearse how to use your Bibles again today. Mark chapter 14. I'm going to give you a couple of examples, three examples in this New Testament. And then we're going to look at some other scriptures as we talk about our, not just our strategies, but our action plans of how we're going to do this. Mark 14 verse 3. Jesus was in Bethany. He was at the house of Simon the leper. As he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, which again, the flask itself was very costly, but it was full of very costly oil of spikenard. 
She broke the flask. She broke this expensive vessel. And then she poured this expensive oil on Jesus' head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? Let me ask you this. Is anything you ever do for Christ wasted? Is anything you ever give to Him or His work wasted? But here's his, some of His own disciples saying that this woman, this fragrant oil was wasted. For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Here's an example of a woman who is extravagant towards Christ. Are you extravagant towards Christ or cheap? Are you extravagant towards yourself and your things and cheap towards Christ and what is His? There was a woman who Jesus said what she did would be told the rest of earthly existence. Everywhere the gospel was preached, that story would be told. This is not the first time you've heard that story, is it? Why? Because it's been told and told and told. Why did Jesus say that? Because he honors those who love him enough to be extravagant with him. What others might consider waste. Where would you be in this story? Would you be the one criticizing her sharply for that waste? That that money could be used better somewhere else. I've heard that in churches before. Why are we spending money here when we got all this other stuff to do? But yet some people are like the woman who is extravagant. They don't think twice about being generous towards the Lord's work. Matthew chapter 27, we find another example. Verse 57, turn over to Matthew 27. The end of the gospel, almost. The second to last chapter of Matthew, chapter 27. Let's pick up with verse 57. We find a man, by uh, a Pharisee, by the way. Um, this was one of those, he was a member of the group that really hated Jesus Christ, but Joseph of Arimathea came to love Christ. And devoted his life to him. And after his crucifixion, it says, When evening had come, they came, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So he was risking even his life to ask from Pilate to have Christ's body. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. And laid it in his new tomb, which he, with his own hands, is the inference here, had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb, and he departed. So here's a rich man. He had uh, a brand new cloth, clean. He had a brand new tomb that he made with his own hands. Probably made it for himself. Maybe for his wife. Maybe for his family. But now he's giving it all. Christ. 
that which he had prepared, that which he had worked for, for himself, he was giving it up for the one he loved. Does that look like the way you give? Does that look like the way you love? In Luke chapter 19, we have another example. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 19, and let's consider one of those despised people. We've looked at a despised woman, this woman, by the way, who anointed Jesus. She was a prostitute. We've looked at a rich man named Arimathea. Now let us look at the scum of the earth, Zacchaeus, the tax collector. You say, why do you say that? Because that's what every Jew considered a tax collector. These were Jewish people working for the Roman government and cheating his own people, not just collecting taxes, but exacting more than was owed to line his own pockets. So here we see the story of Zacchaeus. You know that wee little man that climbed up in the sycamore tree to see Jesus, and Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house, and Zacchaeus, in verse 6, says, received him joyfully. We see a life change begin to take place in Zacchaeus. People complained in verse 7, why is he gone to be the guest with a man who is a sinner? And Zacchaeus said in verse 8, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. So here is a man whose life was changed in an instant like that because he met Jesus Christ. He was a selfish, greedy, lying cheat. And when he met Jesus, his life was transformed and he became the most generous man and gave to others because he loved Jesus Christ. Does that look like you? See, our strategy is to present. If we're, Our goal is to love the Lord, our God, with all of our hearts. And this strategy we're talking about is what co- Jesus knows that what connects to our heart most importantly is our money. Is our finances. We're going to look at that again in just a moment. But what are some action plans that you and I can take? Well, Nothing new that you haven't heard before, so we're just going to review them. Bring your tithe to the storehouse. Give to God first. That's what the tithe is. It's the top tier of your income. It's the top 10% of what you earn. The Bible tells us that in the book of Malachi, and I want us to turn to Malachi, and I want us to read beginning in chapter 1, a few verses, and then in chapter 3, a few verses. Begin in Malachi chapter 1. And look at verse um, 7, if you would. This is God speaking to Israel, His people. By the way, would you look at verse 2 first? We're talking about loving the Lord our God, and look at the first thing God says to his people. You say, I have loved you. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? God is is talking about this question of love. Do you really love me? Now let's look at verse 7. You offered defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? God says, by saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. When you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer that to your governor. 
See if he'd be pleased with you. See if he would accept you favorably. In other words, God was rebuking his people because they were bringing leftovers to him and using the best for themselves. When God had commanded them in the law, bring the best of your flocks, the first of your fruits to my house. And they're bringing the messy leftovers. And he's rebuking them. How can you say you love me if that's how you treat me? Now, look at verse 12 through 14. The end of verse 11, he's talking about his name. My name shall be great in the, among the Gentiles. In other words, I want my people Israel to live in such a way that they're a witness to the lost world. My name shall be great among the nations, he says in verse 12, but you profane it. In what you and 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 that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, Oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, the sick, thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name is to be feared among the nations. God is, the world is looking at, his, at God's people to see if we really love the Lord like we say we love the Lord. And one of the things they can tell by is how we spend our money. And we, many of God's people consider it a weariness to give to the Lord and His work. A burden. And so they offer only what they have left. And then he says in chapter 3, the most infamous probably of passages considering tithing. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8 and following, he says, will a man rob God? You say, well, I would never rob God, but God says, yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? He said, in tithes and offerings. By the way, notice the the phrase, in tithes and what? So you don't stop with the tithe. You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. By the way, there was a room in the temple called the storehouse. And these goods and these things were to be brought in the storehouse and they were presented as offerings to the Lord and they were used for the work and the service of the Lord. The sacrifice of the lambs and the sheep and those things that they brought were sacrificed as sin offerings. Thank God we don't do that. We have one lamb who was slain for the, for the sins of the whole world and his name is Jesus Christ. But we still bring offerings to him. So the storehouse is the church. It is the house of God. It is the place of God. It is the location from which ministry flows out into the world. You just heard the two announcements of us going to Atlanta. How can we charge a person only $25 for and pay for a hotel expense and and pay for the the registration for that event and all the food? and How can we charge just one person $25? How can we cap it at $125 for a family? Because this is the storehouse and people are giving and faithfully and we can let it out and, and, and minister in his name. How can we take a group of people overseas and do a mission trip like that? How can we serve the hungry of our community and minister to them through various ways? How can we support what God is doing? It's, it's because people bring to the storehouse. And from there it flows. 
And we give God our tithe. The word tithe means 10%. Don't call it a tithe if it's not 10%. You're tipping if you don't give 10%. I'm sorry, I'm going to be biblical. I'm not trying to be smart aleck. I'm not trying to be offensive. But if you're not giving 10% of your earned income, you're tipping God. It would be like going to eat at a restaurant, and instead of paying your bill, you, take, you leave the tip, but you don't pay your bill. Could, would you get away with that? <laughs> There's that look again. <laughs> would you get away with that? But you think you can with God. Why do you think you can get away with it with God? Oh, well, he's merciful. Yeah, he is. But he's also a God of judgment for those who violate his word. A tithe is 10%. He says in chapter 3, verse 8, Will a man rob God, but you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse. You've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me. This is the only time God says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. When you tithe, he said, I'll open. Will I not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you such a blessing? There not be room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. So that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will be blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord. God says, put me to the test. I guarantee you, if you put me first and you give that tithe first, I guarantee you, you ain't going hungry. And let me tell you, my wife and I have been married 31 years. We've done this since before we were ever married, even as kids, and we've yet to go hungry. We don't drive fancy cars. We don't live in fancy homes. We don't use fancy clothes. But we have everything we need, and we always have, and we always will. Why? Not because I can do it, but because he can. And we've raised five kids, and most of that time on one income. If we can do it, <laughs> you can do it. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, he says, Honor the Lord with your possessions. Are you honoring the Lord with your possessions? And with the first fruits of all your increase. Not the leftovers, the first fruits. Then here's the promise. There's the command. Here's the promise. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. God says, you do this, you won't lack. It doesn't mean you're going to be wealthy and rich beyond your means. It means that he will take care of you. So my action plan, if I want to love the Lord my God with all my heart, I want to give him tangible gifts as my strategy. My action plan is I'm going to obey his word. I'm going to bring tithes and offerings over and above my tithe to the storehouse. I also can give over my tithe to Christian ministries and missions, maybe within the church or even outside of the church. But you never tithe to those things. Where does the tithe go? Where does the Bible say the tithe goes? The storehouse. The offerings, over and above that, you can give through your church here, the ministries we do, or you can give to other things, Samaritan's Purse or, or other ministries that you feel uh, led to give to. But I would make sure you check them out first before you give to them. Another action plan would give, be give to the needs of others. There are a lot of people who are less fortunate than you. You know what we do? A lot of times we spend our time looking up the ladder. 
wow, they have more than I have. I wish I had as much as they have. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there are thousands and millions of more beneath you, lower on the ladder than you are. Change your focus from looking up the ladder at those who have more and look down below you and you see there's a whole lot more that have less than you do and try to help them. And what you'll find is your heart begins to change as you're generous with God's money. By the way, it's not your money. The Bible says God is the one, this is in Deuteronomy, who gives you the power to get wealth. Suppose you got injured and couldn't work. Suppose something happened to you that you lost your job. It's God who gives you the power to get up every day and go to work. It's God who gave you that job. It's God who created you and gave you the skill and the ability to work and do those things. It's God who gives you the power to get wealth. And the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All of our money, all of our resources are his. So where we need to start is committing those things to him. Lord, this is not mine. I've been hanging on to it for so long. I, te- I, I hang on to it with a closed and tight fist. But I, I need to open my hand. Sometimes we open it a little reluctantly, but we open it and say, Lord, this is yours. It's not mine. I'm just giving back to you what you've given to me. Here's some promises of the Bible. It's more blessed to than to. Do you believe that? Are you practicing that? It seems more fun to receive. But God's. We're not talking about fun. In fact, I will promise you, though, it really is more fun to give. Because of the blessing you receive in giving, it is more fun to give, as well as more blessed than to receive. God loves a cheerful giver. Dadgummit, here comes that offering time again. Oh, I hope they pass my row up. Don't. I'm just going to close my eyes and pretend like I'm praying. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Maybe they'll pass by the time I say amen. Is that the kind of giver God loves? You're the kind of giver that when the preacher starts preaching on giving, you go, oh, no, here we go again. Another sermon. I want to ask you, when's the last time I preached on giving? Do you remember? Anybody remember? Me either. (laughs) It's been a long time. But you know what's funny? Jesus spoke more about money than most any other subject, even love, even heaven, even hell. Why should I feel, or why should you feel we shouldn't have to talk about this? When Jesus talked more about it than most any other subject, in fact, there's 500 verses in the Bible on faith, 500 verses or more on prayer, but over 2,000 on giving and money, on money and giving. One guy wrote this. I remember when I first heard a pastor proclaim from the pulpit that Jesus said more about money than he did about love. And he said, to be honest, I was a little ticked. There's no way that was true, I thought to myself. I've grown up hearing that God is love, but now I find out that he may care more about my checkbook than my heart. Sure enough, after doing a bit of research on this subject as well, I discovered that the pastor was right. Jesus talked more about money Then he did heaven and hell combined. And 11 of his 39 parables, he tells, are about money. Do you ever wonder why that is true? Let me direct you to Matthew chapter 6. Turn your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6.
And look at verse 19. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why do, we, why do we spend so much time doing what Jesus commanded us not to do? Think about that just for a moment. Let that sink in. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Think about what you got in your possessions. We spend so much time doing exactly what Jesus told us not to do. Because moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Why does Jesus teach more about money than heaven and hell and other issues? Because of verse 21. For where your treasure is, what? What is Jesus after? Your money or your heart? Your heart. But where does, how does he know how to get to your heart? Through your money. You know what? I love that woman sitting right out there. And if I wasn't married, I probably would have a lot more money. <laughs> Can I get a witness? But I'd rather have that woman than a wallet full of cash. Or savings account that nobody could count. I love that woman. And I'd give any amount of money to keep her. Because I love her. I want to lavish upon her. And quite honestly, if I wish I had more, it's because I'd want to pour out more on her and my kids. And upon him and others. See, that's what love does. It gives. My treasure's sitting right out there, one of them, and all along that row. And we pour our money into where our treasure is. But greater than her and that row of children and grandchildren is Jesus Christ. He died for me. He paid my sin debt. He wiped my slate clean. When I stand before God in judgment, I am justified. He sees me just if I'd never sinned. How do you pay that back? You can't. But you can give him love. Love. You see where my treasure is, that's where my heart is. I know where your treasures are. I can tell. And you can tell where mine are. Just look at what I have. Look at what you spend money on. You say, what do I treasure? Open your checkbook. Look at your bank statement. That's what you treasure. That's the proof of your love to Jesus Christ. Jesus said in that same passage a couple of verses down, no one can serve two masters. Some of you say, well, I'll give to Jesus and still try to live high on the hog. You can't serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other. So there's hate one and love the other. You can't love them both. Or you will cling and be loyal to one and despise the other. You can't have it both ways. You cannot serve God and money. It's impossible.
Some of you are riding the fence. You're trying to. doesn't work. Isn't it time to just give it all to God? Give it up to Him. Lord, it's yours. I'm going to start with that 10%. Then I'm going to start by giving up to other Christian ministry. I'm going to look for ways to give to other people, to bless other people. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be as faithful a steward as I possibly can be. Some of you may need to cut some things out in your life that you're putting your money to that you have no business putting your money to. Some of you need to tighten your belt so you can give to the Lord's work and to obey the Scripture. Some of you say, I can't afford to give. Can you afford to pay taxes? I think you can't afford, you can afford, you can't afford not to pay taxes, right? Right? Remember that passage I read, Malachi 1? God says, the things you bring me, those broken down sacrifices, he said, try giving that to your governor. Try paying taxes the way you give to the Lord. And see how long you stay a free man. In other words, we give more honor to our government that we always criticize, <laughs> who we know is faulty and failed. Now, we've got to pay taxes. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But to give your taxes to the governor, to the uh, to the government and not honor the Lord that's something wrong with the heart R.C. Sproul wrote this if we are unconverted one thing is absolutely certain we hate God the Bible is unambiguous at this point we are God's enemies we're inwardly sworn to his ultimate destruction it is as natural for us to hate God as it is for rain to moisten the earth when it fails when it falls Yes, by nature, you and I are haters. We're born haters. Which would be great if it was evil that we hated. But it's not. It's the epitome of all good that we hate. God. And we demonstrate that by not allowing Him to rule our lives and our money. You think that such unprecedented, intense hatred would be obvious to us, but it's not. It's one of the greatest triumphs of the devil that he stirs up this hatred in us while at the same time blinding us to it. What's worst of all is that some of this natural hatred remains even in the Christian who has been given a new and supernatural love for God. Let me share with you ten ways we hate God. I've given you five, how we can love Him, strategy and action plans. But here's ten ways that we express our hate towards God. We deny Him. We deny His existence. Or like Peter, in certain circumstances, we deny we know Him. We don't stand up for Him. We don't speak for Him. We belittle Him by ignoring Him, sidelining Him, not talking to Him, not listening to Him. We contradict Him. We argue with His word, His works, and His will. We disobey Him. We just blatantly and knowingly and stubbornly do what He forbids or don't do what He commands. We insult Him. We speak evil of Him. We use His name in curses or use it in vain in frivolous ways. We blame Him. We accuse Him of ill will, unfairness, and injustice. We refuse Him. We refuse His help, His hand, His salvation. We distort Him. We ignore God's love, mercy, and grace, and salvation. We focus only on God's holiness, wrath, justice, and sovereignty, or vice versa. We focus only on His wrath and justice and sovereignty and ignore His love and mercy and grace and end up with a distorted view of God. Number nine, we use Him. We expect Him to come to our aid when, we really, when we're really desperate, but we ignore Him at all other times. We take from Him. We just take and take and take and take. 
We never give or give very little, and we don't give much praise or thanks. Beginning to see a problem. So did the Apostle Paul, which is why he described us as foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Titus 3.3. 3. But in the very next verse, Paul also announced a solution, a solution that's provided by the very same God that we hate. He said, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. You see, there's a lover for haters, and it's Jesus Christ. And more than that, this lover can turn a hater into a lover. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I've given you five ways, five strategies with many action plans. Spend quality time with God. Serve Him. Give Him physical touch by touching others. Speak words of affirmation, praise and thanks, and give tangible gifts. On the authority of the Word of God and based on Matthew 6, 19 that we just read, if you will exercise these things, your heart will grow closer and closer and closer and your love will be more and more for the Lord Jesus Christ and less and less for the things of this world. The things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That's what He wants. Why don't we put Him to the test? This morning, would you make a commitment? Say, Lord, that's what I want for my goal, to love you with all my heart. And this morning, I'm going to start with where Brother Lee was talking. This morning, I'm going to start, or I'm going to continue. I'm going to affirm. For some of you this morning, this message was affirmation. You're already doing this. For some of you, you're kind of on the borderline. You're, you're tipping God. You're giving a little, but you're really not obe obedient. And for some of you, you're way away from this concept of giving anything to the Lord. But you expect everything from him. So maybe you just need to start today by saying, Lord, I want to I wanna love you with all my heart. So I'm going to give everything that I have to you. There was a time in our life where Tana and I have done that, and I've done that many times since. I have to remind myself that the things that, that I think I have are not mine. And I have to rededicate them, if you will. Recommit them. To the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Lord, these things, these cars, these, the, the, the income, the, the children, my wife, all these things, Lord, they're yours, not mine. Help me to be a good steward of them, a good manager. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Rededicate, recommit all of what is yours, what you think is yours, to him, acknowledging that it's not yours, that it's his. And then line your life up with that commitment. I will obey what his word says. And you just watch how God will pour out that blessing to you. I'm not a prosperity theology preacher. Doesn't mean God's going to make you rich and you're going to have 12 jets. It means that God's going to meet your needs. You don't have to worry. 
Matthew 6, he said, after all these things the Gentiles seek, they worry about what they're going to eat, wear, and drink, how their needs are going to be met. God says, quit worrying about that. You obey me, seek first the kingdom of God, I'll take care of those things. That's a promise. I don't have to guarantee it. God guaranteed it. The question is, am I going to take God at his word? Am I going to obey him? Am I going to trust him? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Just trust and obey. Father, help us. Help us to trust and obey. Help us to give ourselves to you, our whole hearts, and to start maybe right what we're talking with today, giving all of our possessions, putting them on the altar, giving you the best, and not just the best, but giving you it all. And Lord, then you show us how to use it. Just spend some time right now talking to the Lord. Father, hear our prayer and help us. You said he that loves you will keep your commandments. And Lord, as we make these commitments, I know that you're faithful to keep that which we've committed unto you until the day that we see you face to face. We know you're faithful even when we're not, but Lord, help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together. You obey what the Lord's leading you to do during this time of prayer.